Like everybody has to have a job on the show and that role they sort of have to stick to or people get confused when you when you've only got theater of the mind happening, then people need to understand how to slot you in. And I I can describe the average radio morning show in one sentence and you're going to laugh when you hear this, but you're going to realize the truth in it, that any successful radio show has a dick, a dork and a deer. (laughs) Podcast Junkies, episode 93. In case you missed it last week, it was Memorial Day weekend and it was another episode of Podcast Junkies Elsewhere. So last week it was uh, the Remarkable Podcast with David Mooring. And I feel like he did such a great job. Um, it's a relatively new show, but David handled it with such professionalism that I really enjoyed my experience. And when that happens, I sort of keep it in the back of my mind as something that I want to share with the audience at a future point in time. And last week was the perfect opportunity to share with you. I've got some some good feedback uh, on social media about the episode. You guys enjoyed it. And uh, I'll keep doing that as I find myself on other shows. Uh, What I'm trying to make sure is that they don't repeat each other. And I've done this a couple of times already. And I think uh, the topics I covered were different enough. So you not feel like I'm just rehashing old material. I never want you to get bored with what you're listening to. So check that out. Episode 92 with uh, David Mooring, where he interviews me. And uh, with each one of those successive Podcast Junkies Elsewhere episodes, you get to learn a little bit more about me and about my story. And uh, hopefully it's something that you find entertaining and any feedback you have on that would be very much appreciated. So this week, I speak to Tom Webster. If you don't know the name, you might know the company he works for. It's Edison Research. And if you're a statistics geek like I am, if you're a podcast junkie, then the combination of those two find a happy home at Edison Research. They're now the one of the, the, the main places where podcasters go to figure out the state of the union, if you will, for podcasting. So I really was happy to connect with him. It's a, it's a, a conversation that's a bit shorter than we, the ones we've had in the past, but I think it's, that doesn't um, mean that it's not chock full of information. We covered a lot of ground and it's about 45 minutes. I, I really just wanted to open up the floor to, to Tom and let him um, share his knowledge. So I, y- you can hear that um, he spoke at length on some of the topics. And I was just really impressed with um, his, his grasp of what's been happening in the podcasting space. He's got 25 years in media and broadcast research. He's uh, a lover of podcasting. And he, he's also a, a, a connoisseur of uh, history, if you will. He's got some interesting examples of um, statistics and, and how they've gone wrong in the past um, and, and why it's important to, to get your sample size right. Um, he talked about the concept of never making false choices, which I thought was really, really interesting. And he also mentioned a couple of his most favorite uh, interviewers as examples of people that are doing it really, really well. So this is a really, really uh, informative interview. If you're a podcaster, um, you're definitely going to want to listen to this at least once, if not twice, because uh, there's a lot of um, quote unquote knowledge bombs um, dropped by Tom. So I I really think you're going to have fun with this one. So as always, 
stay tuned towards the end of the episode where I let you know what the retention hashtag is. If you're new to the show, that's something that uh, longtime listeners can share on Twitter to let you know that to let us know that you've made it to the end of the conversation. And also, we're going to talk about um, give you a bit of m- more information about our newest uh, sponsor to the show, Cast Source. It's a fantastic transcription resource. I'll, I'll dive into more details about that. But in the meantime, um, I don't think I mentioned that my name is Harry Duran, and uh, we do this every Monday. So um, tell a friend, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Tom Webster. Uh, so, Mr. Tom Webster of uh, Edison Research and co-host of the uh, Marketing Companion podcast, thank you for joining me on Podcast Junkies. My pleasure. I've never been called a junkie before, but, you know, <laughs> if it fits. Uh, would you consider yourself a connoisseur of podcasts? I don't know if I'm a connoisseur of podcasts. I have, uh, I've been listening to them for over 10 years now. I mean, probably a dozen years, about as long as I've been covering the space. So, uh, I don't know that that makes someone a connoisseur because I've, I've ingested a lot of crap, uh, <laughs> along, along with the good stuff. So I'm, I'm not sure how discerning I am, but, uh, I do love the medium. So I've heard a lot of them. Did you find that your, your, um, tastes uh, improve uh podcast related improved over the years because in the beginning i imagine 10 years ago you would have listened to anything you can get your your ears on so to speak and with so much happening in the space in recent times do you find that you're being more selective about what you listen to i think i'm equally selective uh i think podcasts have gotten better the the tolerance that people have for poor quality audio poor production uh is I think getting lower and lower. I think the standards in podcasting are getting higher and higher. Um, and I think if anything, I am, I'm listening to a lot more podcasts now than I used to because it was harder for me to find podcasts that were, that were really great. Uh, when I first started listening to them, some of them were, uh, but some of them were not. And I do, I do think that standards have gotten a lot higher. Everybody's had to up their game a little bit. And if you're going to be successful in this space, you can't just talk about a subject that people might may or may not have an interest in you actually have to produce an entertainment i think um and that is kind of the foremost goal that mark schaefer and i have when we do the marketing companion it's to produce uh, a marketing entertainment it's kind of our our you know unspoken tagline um but i think the content has gotten better i think the fact that there are so many mass appeal podcasts available from kind of mass appeal content providers has been really good for the space because it's kind of forced everybody to up their game. It's interesting the importance that you you placed on entertainment because obviously the the marketing companion is entertaining from the episodes I've listened to. It it really sounds like you and Mark are having a good time when you're on that show. And at the end of the day, when the reason we all podcast is because ideally we're doing something that we're passionate about and we want to uh, infuse our listeners with that same passion. And I think you guys do a fantastic job of that. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if you could tell the story of how you met uh, and connected with Mark. Well, I think, you know, uh, I, I first met Mark online as I think many of us in this space have, uh, have met each other. And, you know, five or six years ago, uh, I used to write a lot more for my blog. My blog is a Sadly, a, a barren place uh, with tumbleweeds, which I, I put things on every couple of weeks or three weeks or so. But uh, I was writing a lot back in those days, and Mark really liked my content, and I did a lot of guest posts for him. And we became friends through that. And then 
uh, at South by Southwest about four years ago, Mark and I and my wife, Tamson, had dinner together in Austin. And we just had a fantastic, like, all-night conversation. It was one of those great things at South by where you get away from the crowd, you catch up at a really nice restaurant, and you just sit and talk for three hours. And we talked a little bit about podcasts. You know, Mark knew that I had covered the space as an analyst a lot, and and uh, if I'd ever wanted to do one, and I said, you know, I, I just don't know if I want to commit to doing a podcast. I do love, I do love audio uh, a great deal. I do love spoken word. I, I love interviews and things like that. And uh, we just sort of filed that away because I think Mark was toying with the idea of a podcast, but he wasn't sure what it would be about because Mark's a big content creator. And then. You know, it really didn't take long uh, in, at sort of at, at the end of that dinner. Uh, my wife said, you know, this would be a good podcast. Like what? She said, the conversation you two are having right now is hysterical and riveting and interesting and entertaining. It's like this would be a good podcast. And then about a month later, Mark wrote back and said, you know, I've thought about this a lot. I'd like to do a podcast, but I'm, I'm not going to do it unless you would do it with me. And I said, sure. Why the hell not? And that's uh, how the marketing companion was born. And it and it, I, I think it just um, it's it, the dynamic of of the both of you on the show. You really, you really work well off of each other. So I, I think that's what really makes it entertaining. And I, when I started listening to it, I it's now on my list of very. It's a long list of podcasts, and I try it's to find, longer. Yeah, <laughs> it just keeps getting longer. But I think what it does is helps you weed out those that you've been listening to, but they've kind of. Uh, I, I think for some maybe for um, just. You can't get you can't find yourself to get rid of the podcast so you, until you find something better that fits in. Yeah, I think you know one of the uh, you know Mark and I do have a great relationship and it really really works. And I think um, having a great relationship before you start a podcast is not necessary, but you have to figure it out pretty quickly. Um, and it, it can it can simply be an on air relationship. And I'll give you a little background here. Even though I've I've been podcasting myself for only about four years. I've been in, interested in covering the space for over a decade. But even beyond that, I've been in media and broadcast research for almost 25 years. And I have consulted and done research for many, many morning shows and radio and other kind of talent things. I, you know, I've done lots of research on uh, the, you know, the Z100 morning show with Elvis Duran, which is covered nationwide. I've done research for Howard Stern. I've done research for the Bob and Tom show, which is, a, uh, once was a really big syndicated program still is, I think. Um, and so in that role, I got to learn a lot about interviews and audio and entertainment. And one of the things that I always took away from that, whether you have a relationship off the air or not, is that everybody needs a role. Like everybody has to have a job on the show and that role they sort of have to stick to or people get confused when you when you've only got theater of the mind happening, then people need to understand how to slot you in. And I, I can describe the average radio morning show in one sentence. And you're going to laugh when you hear this, but you're going to realize the truth in it, that any successful radio show has a dick, a dork and a deer. <laughs> and usually the main host is the dick. There's usually a counterpart who's a deer. And then there's the dork who's like who does the stupid things. Um, and that is like that has been like a successful formula for radio shows for uh, for for decades now. So, you know, when Mark and I do the show, I won't say we're we're absolutely not scripted, but we do understand how we're supposed to act with each other. It's it's completely authentic. It is not an act. But we also, you know, 
we we fit into roles. And I think having those roles and having awareness of of what it is your character, even if that character is the authentic you, is supposed to bring to the podcast. It's a really useful filter to think about. Yeah, that, I think that's very important. And, and I'm wondering if you if you have uh, a take on what you've seen with so many years in broadcast research, um, what what your take is on what's happening with the podcasting space. And obviously, Edison Research is doing uh, a, a lot of uh, has a lot of insights into what's happening. And I think every every time the new report comes out, you know, all of us podcasters are flocking to the page and seeing what the metrics are. And we're obviously seeing the, the growth um, in what's happening in podcasting. And I'm wondering if you could give your your take on it, because you have a unique uh, context because of having spent so much years in radio about what's happening. And is it something where you see eventually podcasting overtaking what's happening radio or can they coexist for some period of time? I think they can coexist. Uh, I think they are coexisting. It's still, it's a little bit farmers and cowmen, I think. Uh, I, th- I think there is, uh, there's some mistrust and disrespect of the other side on both sides for a lot of reasons. I think there were a lot of people in the early days of podcasting that got into podcasting because they felt like broadcasting was not available to them for some reason or another, right? And so there's always been that kind of farmers and cowmen feel. And on the other side, you've got people in radio who have looked at uh, po- podcasters for a while as kind of the island of misfit toys or something like that. And and both are absolutely ridiculous. And what has happened over the over the 10 years or so that, that these two have tried to coexist is that I think podcasters have realized, you know, maybe we have a little bit to learn from radio. You know, maybe they have something to teach us about production and how to produce an entertainment. And on the other side, I think broadcasters have realized, you know, uh, we have a lot to learn here because we can't just take our broadcast content and slap it into an MP3 file and call that a podcast. And I think there's still way too much of that in broadcast radio. There's not enough care to the native format of podcasts, to doing content that is native and original to the medium. You can't just repurpose the stuff you've put on the air. It doesn't, it doesn't work the same way. It doesn't have the same sound. It doesn't have the same intimacy, you know, for, the, for people listening between the earbuds uh, by themselves privately. You know, it's a, it's a whole different scenario. It's an entirely different listening environment. So I think both have a long way to go. But we are starting to see a real fusion of the two in some of the newer content startups, things like Gimlet and Panoply that are sort of this natural marriage of people who have broadcast chops, but have some, but have legit cred in the podcast space and understand not only sound design and good audio and production, but how to tell stories and how to fit what they're doing in the intimate space of a podcast. It seems like there's a a burgeoning industry of people who are able to bridge both worlds. And uh, I'm thinking maybe um, as a, as a consultant, there's probably a lot of opportunity for someone who can have uh, the ability to, to understand what's happening in the podcasting space and bring um, the best of the best from the radio and work with people in radio to get their, to your point, get get that content into a format that makes more sense for podcasting. And it seems like there's a lot of opportunities there for people who can who can work both sides of the fence, so to speak. Oh, I, I totally agree. Uh, a, a good friend of mine, Steve Goldstein, uh, was a, a former programming executive for a number of large radio companies. And he has uh, started his own company now called Amplify. That's Amplify with an I, kids. <laughs> and uh, 
This is a guy that has built successful morning show after successful morning show, knows how to make great content, but is uh, but really gets new media is not uh, is in no way a dinosaur. And I think, you know, there's I think people in on both sides of the kind of podcast broadcast fence, which I hope gets torn down, uh, would would have a lot to learn from people like that. And I also think people in broadcasting would have a lot to learn from uh, a successful podcaster who may or may not meet their uh, ideals of what a successful broadcaster is, but know how to attract an audience. And that's re- what, that's really what it's all about, right? It's about audience development and the broad, the broadcast path to audience development is entirely different from the podcast path to audience development. Uh, and I think you have to, you have to be a multidisciplinary, uh, consultant who is who has either access to or has the skills to pull in social media to pull in production to pull in uh and kind of building a show uh, but then also distribution and amplification of content i mean it's uh there aren't that many people i think that individually have all of those skills working uh which is why i think there's a lot of opportunity for collaboration and, and partnerships in this space still to come the space is still so new have you seen examples of people that are doing it well or are able to, to make that jump? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, what's interesting about and, I, and we have a lot of clients in the space. I mean, we work for uh, we work for Podcast One. We work for NPR. We've done research for BEZ, uh, which in Chicago, which produces This American Life and Serial, uh, WNYC, CBS and, and some others. And I think uh what is happening here is that there are people getting involved that know how to build really big shows and they are starting to get the format. And, you know, if you look at podcast one, uh, podcast one this year is going to bill tens of millions of dollars. They're going to bill a significant portion of what the entire space is billing. And they've been able to do that by, I think, very smartly bringing together people who already have a passionate social audience Right. I mean, they've they've recruited Shaquille O'Neal. They've brought in uh, Nicole Polizzi, the, the woman formerly known as Snooki. Um, they brought in a, a number of pro wrestlers that have just cult like rabid followings. And they have put the people around them that know how to produce great shows. I mean, they've built studios in Los Angeles where some of these stars come in and produce the shows right there, surrounded by people that have enormous production talent. And they're producing content that is native to the format that is making podcasting accessible, available, and interesting to a whole new audience of people that here, I mean, when podcasting first started, it was very techy, very technically oriented and in content. And so it was, you know, primarily, uh, a male kind of 25 to 44 affluent kind of medium that's evened out considerably. Uh, and that's, and that's just, that's just content driven. And now you have some very successful podcasts that have grown up and with, you know, significant audiences in a very short period of time because of this ability to think out of the box and kind of build something new for this new medium. What I thought was interesting in one of your uh, episodes with Mark, you were talking about the focus group you had with millennials and, uh, you were a bit surprised because you said a percentage of those who there were a percentage of those who didn't know what a podcast was, and and they I think in your words they didn't feel like messing around with it. Yeah. Um, and and I'm wondering if you could elaborate on that or or what you've seen in terms of because you did mention new listeners earlier about how 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 we bring those into the fray. Yeah. Well, uh, I think there's you know every time I mention this, uh, I I take fire actual fire from people who've been in the space a long time about the name. 
Uh, and I've never suggested that we change the name ever. That's never what I've said. In fact, if you call your show a podcast, you keep calling it a podcast. But I do a lot of research. Um, and every time I do a study or do some qualitative, there will be people who either don't know what a podcast is or have heard it, but say, oh, you know, I, but I don't know how to access them. Right. Or I don't know how to use them. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, and again, there, you, you'll probably, you know, there, there may be hateful emails coming in on this show when I say this, but let me ask you, have you ever had to explain to someone what a podcast is? Definitely. Have you ever had to explain to someone what a show is? No. I rest my case. <laughs> now, like I said, the name is the name. I've never suggested an, al an alternative to change it to. Um, but there's no question that there needs to be some education there. And I think there, uh, there are a lot of voices in podcasting. Those voices don't always agree. I think if those voices could agree uh, and unite around some things, that there are some real possibilities here for kind of mainstream public education of what, of what these things really are. And the fact that you can get them anywhere. Distribution is no longer a problem. There's no friction to listening to a podcast. But there are people that just don't know that. And I, I get pushback on that all the time. But, but you know, like, like, I, like I said, I mean, do you think it's helped? Do you think the name has helped? I mean, anytime I ask that, like, you have to think about that yeah. for a minute, right? Yeah. It's not, you, you don't just fire back with an argument. Um, so that's about all I'll say about that. You, you mentioned distribution is not a problem. Do you think discovery is a problem still? I think discovery is a huge problem, uh, just a huge problem. Um, you know, you still, uh, whatever I am asked, and I am not a podcast consultant. I am, a, I am a consultant on consumer behavior, on the people that are listening to your shows, right? But whenever I am asked uh, how to have, how to build a successful podcast audience, my response to them is step one, already have an audience, because it's really, really difficult to build a podcast from scratch. It's really difficult. I think if you already have an audience, then that audience, there's going to be a percentage of that audience who desires a deeper relationship with you. And that's what a podcast does. You know, Mark has, you know, millions and millions of page views on his blog. There is a percentage of those people that feel really connected to Mark and really feel connected to me. And this is their opportunity to get that deeper engagement, deeper involvement. And, you know, they really are. Um, it's not so much that we created rabid fans with the podcast. We aggregated the most rabid of existing fans with the podcast. So, I, you know, it's it is difficult to build a podcast audience. So that being said, uh, I, I imagine you get asked a lot uh, about any advice you would have for people that are starting a podcast. So is there any guidance you can give, given what you, you've just said, for someone who may not have that strong of an audience to start with? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to uh, understand what your skill set really is, right? If your skill set is that you are a subject matter expert in something, that doesn't necessarily mean you're good at podcasting. Right. It just means that you're a subject matter expert and the universe is full of people who are brilliant, who cannot translate their ideas into audio form. So my suggestion always is, is to figure out what you're good at. If you are, uh, if you think you could be a good interviewer, then study the greats. Right. I mean, to me, the, you know, the, the two greatest interviewers in the, that I have ever heard in, in many, many years of listening to the, to the genre are, uh, are Larry King. And I'm actually not talking about television, CNN, Larry King. I'm talking about Larry King when he used to have an overnight radio show 
you could not turn it off. Hmm. I mean, he, he just, he never mailed that in. He was a brilliant questioner. Uh, and then the other one is Howard Stern. Howard Stern can, um, whether you are a fan of his content or not, listen to his interviews because he can disarm a subject so quickly and get them to say things deep and emotional and unguarded like no one you've ever heard. So if you're, if you're good at interviews, do that. And I think Mark and I realized that's not what we wanted to do. We, what were we good at? Talking to each other. That was it. So that's what we do, right? If you figure out what your skill set is and don't be afraid uh, and I know this is a long-winded answer, but I'm hoping there's something in here for everyone. Don't be afraid to be scripted, right? If you think about the the shows that are uh, just doing really, really well right now, you look at, at something like Startup, right, with Alex Bloomberg. That show is scripted. I mean, it, you know, most things that you hear coming from public media, they're very scripted. Why yeah. don't they sound that way? Because they, they, they're good, <laughs> right? But if you're not great at, at improv, don't do it. You know, that's so that's a long winded way of saying figure out what you're good at and do that thing and don't try to emulate somebody else if it doesn't feel right. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on uh, someone like a Charlie Rose or Terry Gross? I love them both. Uh, I think they're both fantastic interviewers. Um, it's a funny th- it's a funny shift and I'm not sure I can articulate this very well, Harry, but I, if, to me. I, I mean, I, I'm sure I would enjoy the Charlie Rose show as a podcast. Uh, I would feel like I'm hearing the audio of a television show hmm. instead of eavesdropping on a really great conversation. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, it's a very subtle shift there. And I'm, I'm not sure uh, how to really get after that. But um, I think there's uh, there is something to just knowing in the back of your mind that I am speaking to one person who is listening to me in headphones as opposed to I am broadcasting out there to millions and I have an obligation to make this interesting to millions. Now, we all have an obligation to make things interesting, but I think it's a mindset shift. I mean, I feel like if I just listened to the audio of Charlie Rose, I would think I'm watching the TV with the sound with a picture off. Like that's that's what I'm doing um, as opposed to a podcast. Uh, so I don't know. It's a, it's a mindset shift, but I, they're both fantastic interviewers. They're two of the best in the business. It's a very interesting distinction that you made because a lot of what uh, some of the be- best podcasters do is they never forget the fact that there's a listener who is the third party in our conversation and always make sure to use language that's inclusive and not feel, to your point, that it's something where they're looking from afar, but more like it's the three of us and we're, we're at a bar and they just happen to be listening to us having the conversation. So it's something to always be cognizant of. I know there's a, a, a famous podcaster that actually puts in his avatar on a wall and he is always looking at it as he's mm. doing his show. It's a reminder that I'm, I'm speaking to one person and he focuses his language and the words that he uses around that. It's easier said than done. And I, I imagine you, we just get better at it over time. Yeah, I think so. I think it, it really helps to also think about the fact that uh, if you're doing a show with somebody else and, and you might have lots of inside jokes and location jokes and, and things like that with that person that are hilarious to people around you, they're not on the podcast. You know, like anytime you, you say something on a podcast and you say, oh, well, you had to be there. Just don't say that thing. Like it's not going to translate. Right. And the other thing I think that that really helps is to pretend that you are a pretend you know nothing hmm. and and also to assume your audience knows nothing 
That, that does not mean to underestimate your audience. That does not mean to talk down to your audience. What that does mean is if you, if you take on the mantle of I know nothing, I just don't know a thing, you're going to ask really good questions. You're going to ask the questions that your audience would ask. I'm not sure what that means. Like maybe you know what that means when someone that you're interviewing rattles off a term or a concept and you're like, yeah, 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 we all know that. Well, they, we don't all know that. And so I think if you act like you are uh, a teenager hearing that who has nothing to do with podcasting and you just say, well, well, back up. What do you mean by that? That makes for riveting audio. And by the same token, when you are talking about things, I'm not saying you should assume your audience is not intelligent. Your audience is very intelligent. We and you would it would be criminal to underestimate them, but never assume that people are tracking an audio with, with your brain. And so it, it, it never hurts to sort of explain something very simply as you're just to give people some time to catch up. If the, if the audio is just like one, like nonstop withering torrent of glossed over things, it's, it's fatiguing and, and just give people a chance to catch up, understand simply what it is that you're saying. And then you can build upon that. And I think that's, that's really key to making your podcast not sound like it's an inside joke or, a, uh, you know, you had to be there or you have to know something to enjoy it. Yeah, because then the listener feels like they're left out of the conversation. Um, some You mentioned podcast one and I interviewed a Jordan Harbinger from The Art of Charm. Yeah. He does a really good job of that. And he does a great job. He always comes back and says, I don't understand what that means. What's that acronym? And um, uh, every time I listen to his show, I'm reminded that I should constantly be on, on, the, on the lookout. Or on the here out. I don't know if there's a, that's on the a here out. Yeah, I, I'd say the thing I love about Jordan, and I've I've not met him personally, although we've interacted in a kind of a speakers group on uh, Facebook, is that he is always eager to learn. I mean, I think if you there's there's this great book by Carol Dworkin called Mindset, uh, where there, you have sort of two mindsets that people have: a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. And I think Jordan has a growth mindset, and he. I think he, because he has that genuine curiosity and that genuine, you know, I don't know everything here. I'd like to know more. That makes a fabulous podcaster. I think that's, I mean, that's, that invites people in and doesn't bring up uh, barriers to, to put people off. You know, I think uh, I, I sometimes I think, think I put up barriers all the time like that because I'll, I will, I'll go off on a fast talking articulate tangent. And what I have done is sort of exclude people, uh, from, from what I'm doing. And, and so I'm, I'm guilty of that. I think, uh, I think Jordan does a really good job. Um, one of the, one of the things you mentioned in, in terms of keeping the listener engaged was to just, you know, be, be yourself and, and bring your own personality into it not to the point that you're excluding people, but I, I just, I come back to the fact that you really seem to be having a lot of fun and it seems like it's your innate nature to just joke around and, and just have, uh, you know, make witty observational comments. And I'm wondering where that came from, from your background. Did you study improv or anything like that? I did not. No, uh, I did not study improv. I have never really worked in the radio business on the, on the talent side. Um, I, but what I have done, I'm a researcher, right? I mean, that's my day job. And so I've spent 20 years presenting numbers to people and understanding that numbers are a very difficult thing to present to people. I was at a, at a conference yesterday where the first two talks were this barrage of statistics. And at the end of it, I couldn't remember one of them. And that's my job. I mean, they just, they just was, you know, they didn't understand how to present numbers. It was a complete barrage of, of stats that were glossed over and not given context. And so what I have is 20 years of getting up in front of people and understanding that, A, they have to be engaged with what I'm saying. B, they have to understand 
the concepts that I'm talking about, both from a, a literacy standpoint and a numeracy standpoint. And C, I'd like to be asked back every once in a while. And so it's honestly just been repetition. It's not like I, I read a textbook. It's just been uh, getting up in front of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of audiences and clients and figuring out what works and figuring out what doesn't. It's evolution, if anything. You mentioned uh, what not to do by seeing the people who are in front of you and them not having the the understanding of how to present numbers. So I'm wondering if you could give a couple of pointers, given given that this is what you do and you seem to do it very well, if someone is going to present something that's dry, like a dry subject, like statistics, is there a, a, a good or a best way to go about that? Yeah, I, that storytelling is always the best way. Um, and I'll give you an example. It's a, it's, it's something that I have to explain all the time, right? Yeah, so the infinite dial is our gold standard media study. It's, it is accepted as currency in ad agencies, media buyers all across the country. Uh, it has been for years. Whenever we do that webinar, we get thousands of people signed up in the, in the advertising and marketing world because it's, you know, we like to think it's really currency in that space. It's a sample of 2,000 people. Now, we spend a ton of money in hard costs, I mean, almost six figures in hard costs on that sample of just 2,000 people. It's cell phone sampling. It's mobile. It's uh, the technical term for it is probabilistic sampling, which means that everybody in America has a equal non-zero chance of being selected which you can't say if you just put up a survey on Twitter or something like that, right? So it costs a lot of money and, and people will, uh, some people will come back and say, well, that's just 2,000 people. I have 2 million people on uh, web hits that says this, or we have 20 million listeners and that says that. And so there's a statistical way I can answer that, but I have to tell stories for people to understand that, right? I mean, if I were to ask you what's better, uh, what, who do you think is more popular, chocolate or Kim Jong-un, <laughs> right? 25 kindergartners would get the right answer. Uh, but 2 million North Korean men ages 18 to 34 would get the wrong answer, right? There's all kinds of... Uh, and another story I like to tell is the story of uh, the 1936 presidential election. And again, I'm getting across a very complicated statistical concept here, but I tell it through a story. Uh, the 1936 presidential election, there was a magazine called the Literary Digest, which... Every election did a, what they would call a straw poll, and they would basically survey their readership, their database, the people who had subscribed to any of the magazines in their uh, coterie of magazines. And so in, in 1936, they conducted this straw poll, and it ended up being the largest survey in the history of America, other than the census, still is. They had 40 million people respond to it, right? And the results were that Alf Landon was going to be the president by a landslide, Kentucky Governor Alf Landon. And there was this one pollster named George Gallup, the name may sound familiar to you, who did a sample of a thousand people. I was either a thousand or two thousand, I forget, and said, I don't think that's right. I don't think that's right at all. Uh, and it ended up that FDR won in a landslide because those 40 million people were subscribers to the Literary Digest and other magazines in that family. They were well off, right? They did not. They all had uh, telephones. They survived the Great Depression, but millions and millions and millions of voters in 1936 were not subscribers to Literary Digest. And George Gallup talked to them too. Um, and so that's again a long way of saying that it's storytelling. It's all about finding the right analogy. It's all about finding the through line in a narrative that, that is not 
related to numbers that will help people understand the concept behind the numbers. Do you consider yourself a student of history? I do. Well, we do a lot of political work at Edison. Uh, we're the sole providers of the exit polls during all the elections. So if you've ever watched television on the night of a primary or, or this coming November, if you watch TV, it doesn't matter what channel you watch, uh, all of the exit polling data comes from us. So we have this, uh, we've done that for 13 years now, I think. So we have this kind of rich mine of, of political stuff. But I am a, I am a student of history. There's the phrase of uh, those not understanding history are uh, doomed to repeat the same mistakes. Yeah, uh, condemned to repeat it. And we uh, we I think we'll continue to do that. I think that's that is law. I don't see that ever changing. Um, One of the things that you that you picked up on in the Infinite Dial report was that um, podcast listening showed sharp gains on a monthly basis. And Mm -hmm. I think it was it was seventeen to twenty one percent, and then weekly ten to thirteen. Yeah. W- was there anything else in the report that was a surprise to you? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that uh, we a couple of the data points that we put out in uh, the podcast consumer report, which we just put out uh, last week, uh, was a stat about the dominant modality through which people listen to podcasts now. And I want to be very careful with the wording here. But most people, 59%, said that the mode of listening to a podcast they did the most was to click and listen immediately compared to download and listen to later or subscribe to and listen to later. Now, click and listen to immediately. A lot of people went up in arms over this. They said, uh, that's not what my data says. Uh, My data shows not that much streaming. And I'm always quick to say, number one, I didn't say the word streaming. I said, click and listen to immediately. Now, to your server, that might look like a progressive download. Mm. Your server, that might look like a stream. I don't care about that. That's engineering talk. What I care about is what consumers think. And the second thing I would say is you don't have listen data. Your your server does not show you listen data. It shows you downloads. This question was about listens. Um, But I think... The fact that what, you know, most people tell us that most of the time they're clicking on a podcast and listening to it immediately is, uh, you know, maybe that can be challenging to some old line podcasters, but more and more new content, that's exactly how it's being consumed, even to the extent of being streamed, right? You have uh, Pandora having with podcasts now, like when Pandora has a serial or This American Life, that is a stream, right? That's going to open up a whole new audience. All of that's really good news for podcasters. And the other thing that uh, we reported was that for people who do download and listen to later, which is still a significant percentage of people, uh, the overwhelming majority tell us that they listen to the show within 48 hours of downloading it. Mm-hmm. And again, uh, and, and in fact, most within 24. And that's, again, very important for podcasters, both of those facts, because what those facts uh, imply to ad buyers is that, you know what? Uh, I'm pretty sure if a podcast gets downloaded, it's being listened to. And I'm pretty sure if it gets listened to, it's listened to within a day or two of being downloaded, if not immediately. So I can talk about a monthly sale or I can talk about, uh, you know, tune in on Monday night to Fox TV or whatever. So I, I, it opens up a whole new universe of advertising opportunities for podcasters if Ad, if ad buyers understand that this isn't just evergreen stuff that sits moldy on someone's server, but that, you know, people listen to this pretty quickly. So uh, those are those are important things. So that being said, is there some guidance you would give podcasters about where they should be directing their listeners to consume their show? 
No, I think you, they need, you need to be everywhere they are. Um, you can't, you're not going to train people, you know, and again, you know, every time I've had the, the name debate with people, I always say, if you're calling your show a podcast, keep calling it a podcast because that's what your audience knows. You'll never change consumer behavior. That's not the question you asked me. Um, so no, I think you need to be where they are. I mean, I think, uh, you can, uh, and I, and again, things change an awful lot, right? If you were, uh, if you started podcasting 10 or 11 years ago, or even eight years ago, maybe had a successful tech podcast, a successful social media podcast, overwhelmingly people are going to iTunes, finding your show, subscribing to it or listening to it. Uh, and then later that became the iOS app. Uh, but that not only is that ecosystem of the player broadening, but you also have things like public media. And I can tell you for a fact that a, a, a significant percentage of listeners to NPR produced podcasts, they're listening to them by going to NPR.org and clicking on the link to listen to it right off the website. Like mm. it's on their desktop. Mm. Um, and if you are listening to uh, Naturally Nicole, the Snooki show, like the people are listening to that because she tweeted out that she has a new show. She's got millions of followers on Twitter. That link is to a direct download to a direct download slash play of the MP3 file. It's not going through iTunes at all. So that's, you know, the iTunes music, you know, the iTunes ranking is not catching that kind of listening. So uh, where people find you is changing, but you have to be wherever people are as best you can. That's a good point. Um, shifting gears to marketing, one of the topics you covered with Mark was that you you'd like to, you mentioned that you'd like to see more curiosity from marketers and more critical thinking. And I think one of the things you talked about was less. Um, you, you I think it was in the context of brand bullying. So um, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how people who are are marketing services via their podcast, you know, if there's any guidance you can give as to what they should be thinking about how they're presenting their offer to listeners in the show. If there's any, um, there, there are a few drums that I have beaten consistently throughout my career. And one of them is to not, to never make false choices. Like anytime someone asks me, would you do this or this? I will say yes as much as possible. Right. And I think the thing to remember is that you have a number of different, you know, your audience, think about it like a, a dartboard with concentric circles, right? They're the people in the middle and they're the people that, that listen to your show, every show, and they interact with you. They send you emails, they leave you blog comments, right? And that's mostly what you're learning from. There's another concentric circle outside of that. And these are the people that never miss a show, but never talk to you, right? You don't know anything about them. And then there's another circle of people that occasionally listen to your show. And then there's another circle of people that would probably be interested in your show, but have never listened to it for some reason. And every one of those audiences is completely different. Hmm. But all you ever hear from is that central audience. And if you continue to please that central audience, what you end up doing is over-optimizing to a smaller and smaller core that is potentially very left of center or right of center or very far away from where you started. Um, and I think you have to be very careful about that. You always have to consider that, that larger circle um, because, you know, it, I, I call it shark attack thinking because anytime in the run of a summer, as soon as you hear three stories about shark attacks, every newspaper runs stories about shark attacks on the rise. No, they're not. There were three of them. There could have been a gazillion of them, but there weren't. There were three of them, but but you sort of can't stop 
thinking about, oh my God, shark attack, <laughs> right? There's, there's so many this year. Um, and that, that can happen, I think, when you only look at what your core audience is telling you. And so the, the part about being curious is finding ways to communicate with the other concentric circles. Even the people that have never listened to your show, find out where they are, what they're talking about. And you may find that they are talking about and caring about things that are entirely different from what you do on your show. And then you have to make those decisions. But focusing and focusing on your core has positives and it has negatives. It has positives in that you might you can continue to make uh, you know that kind of tribe thinking, that tribe very, very happy. But what you don't know is like who's falling off and why did they fall off? And what where are you really moving the show? So I... I I try to uh, encourage people to always have that that dartboard in their mind and realize that hitting a bullseye may not be the center of where they want to be. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I think so. sometimes we tend to tailor our message so much for the people that are actually responding to us that we forget yeah. some of those concentric circles. So uh, I think I'm going to listen back to this and, and, and actually diagram that out a little, a little bit later when I get a chance. I would, inc- I would Look, I do that with clients. Yeah. I, I draw that. Yeah. Um, I, I would, uh, I draw it in a very sophisticated way. Um, I use a compass, no. yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, uh, but it's a mindset, right? Yeah. It's a, it's a, it is a mindset. And, and I think you continually have to check yourself. Uh, and there is this, there is this mentality, I think, especially amongst people who do internet marketing and social media marketing and things like that, that it's, you know, I would rather make a thousand people really, really happy than sort of appeal to a hundred thousand people. And that's, that's legitimate. If you can make money off a thousand people, yeah. if you can make money off a thousand people, go for it. They'll, they will find you. I'm, I, I, I agree with that a thousand percent. Um, but if you, if you cannot, if you have this super passionate audience of, you know, a thousand people and you can't make ends meet with that thousand people, then you, it's time to think about the dartboard. Yeah. Um, because you, you, again, might be making a tribe of people really, really happy, but that might be because you are, uh, you share their crazy or you are off in some way that, that they relate to. And that's, that's a beautiful thing if you can make a living on that. But if you can't, you have to rethink things. And that's, you know, again, part of having a growth mindset as opposed to a fixed mindset. Very well said. Uh, so getting to the home stretch, just a couple more questions. Um, what have you changed your mind about recently? Uh, let's see. I changed my mind about a lot of things. Um, in fact, I had this, I was at a, a streaming advertising summit in New York yesterday and, uh, someone actually came up to me about the, uh, is the name podcasting holding podcasting back thing. Cause I, I don't know. I seem to be like the, one of the poster children for the wrong answer on that. And he said, uh, you know, I, I read something you wrote six years ago where, you said that it, that it was absolutely the right name and it's, it's stupid to, to go otherwise. And I said, I can guarantee you I didn't say stupid. I said, but I will tell you that I see new information and I think about it. And when I see new information and I think about it, I reevaluate, right? And he says, oh, so you're a flip-flopper. I said, in the very best sense, you're absolutely right. I said, if you had been doing a thing for 10 years and presented with evidence to the contrary for 10 years, and yet you still kept doing the same thing, isn't that the definition of insanity? I mean, like that's like, I understand being stubborn about beliefs and stubborn about vision, but I don't think you are entitled to your own facts. Hmm. So I can, I'm stubborn about those. Yeah. What's uh, the one most misunderstood thing about you? Uh, One most misunderstood thing about me is that I am very definitely an introvert. And I think that 
people that have seen me talk would say, no, no, you're not. Like if, if you've been to one of my talks, but that's not really what introvert means. Introvert doesn't mean shy. Introvert means that it's exhausting. Doesn't mean I can't do it. Right. So when I'm done interacting with people for a day, I have to go like sit in the corner and cower for a while and, and recharge my batteries. But I'm actually, I'm pretty introverted. When's the last time you left out loud? Uh, it, just before this podcast. I mean, loud, laughed out loud. Uh, my wife and I laugh constantly together. It's one of the secrets to our amazing marriage. Can you elaborate on that? Why, why is that important? Uh, I think, well, uh, as I enter into my late forties here, I often like to remind my wife that funny never fades, <laughs> you know, looks might I'm getting grayer, yeah. but, uh, I, I don't know. I think laughing together is one of the most, uh, healthy things you can do in a relationship. And it's, it is uh, very important. I think, um, if you're in a, in a joyless relationship, uh, to, to either figure out ways to find that joy or, or something has to change because it never feels like work. Uh, if you have that. Well, it's glad to see you're putting your research skills to use in your relationship as well. So, uh, I would never, I would never try to research my wife. She's smarter <laughs> than I am. Well, Tom, thank you so much. Uh, for, my pleasure for the time. I really had an entertaining, uh, conversation with you. And, thank uh, you. And, fabulous, fabulous interview. And, uh, thank you. And, uh, where can folks track you down online? Uh, either I'm on Twitter at webby2001. Uh, I am on, uh, our company's website is edisonresearch.com where you can find some of our research and my occasional, uh, blogs and things like that are on, uh, uh, brandsavant.com and also the marketing companion. Yes. Lest I forget. Is there anything coming up that you'd want uh, list to um, push listeners to, or is there anything you want uh, some support on an event coming up? Uh, not coming up. We just released the podcast consumer 2016. That's on our website prominently. Uh, there is a webinar you can rewatch. There is a PDF of all the, of all the data. Uh, so I encourage people if they're looking for podcasting statistics for their media kits or, just want to just want to hear me tell stats and jokes. Um, check that out at edisonresearch.com. All right. Thanks again for your time, Tom. I really right. appreciate it. Thanks, Harry. So I really hoped you enjoyed that. It was it was so chock full of information and I, we had a hard stop. Um, I had a lot more questions I could have asked him. And uh, I just think that he's one of those people who really, really know their 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 topics incredibly well. They've got tons of experience and it's someone that you really should learn from and learn from people that know things um, in the space just by virtue of, of having worked in it for so long. And I, I really like this point about uh, how most people don't understand how to present numbers and having done it for such a long period of time, he's become uh, an expert on that as well. Um, and I just love the example of the uh, the 1936 election stats and how you can get something so incredibly wrong if you don't know um, the proper methodology for uh, what a sample size means. And so um, Given that he's such a, a fan of podcasts, it was interesting to hear his take on, on what he considers a really good show and why he thinks uh, um, Howard Stern and Larry King, Radio Larry King, I will add, 
um, are, do such a great job. And I don't think I've actually heard Larry King on the radio. So that might be some homework for me to dig in to that and to find out um, some more about those episodes. Um, so this episode is brought to you by CastSource. Um, CastSource is a, a transcription resource specifically for podcasters. Um, I can't recommend them enough. Um, I've been having some interesting conversations with people about how they're using transcriptions. Um, if you're just going to take it and post it on the site, that's pr- probably not going to read well. So if you're going to make the effort to, to use a service like CastSearch, which I recommend, what you should do is take the additional step of reviewing that content and and editing it yourself or having someone edit it so that it reads well. And then actually posting that full text on your show notes page towards the bottom. Um, I've been seeing some good results with that. And I think um, if it's positioned in a way where it reads well, I think um, what you'll find is that you'll get some visits and you'll get some SEO juice, search engine optimization, for those that don't know what that term means. But um, it's something to think about and something to try. So give give them a shot. Head on over to podcastjunkies.com slash cast source. Um, and I think, uh, you'll be pretty happy if you have used the, the service, I would love to hear your feedback on it. So just, uh, shoot me a note, shoot me a tweet or ping me on Facebook. So thanks again to Tom Webster for being so generous with his time. Um, and we are part of the Podcastica network where you can find all our shows at podcastica.com. Listen to the most recent episode of Radio Film School with Ron Dawson. He does a deep dive on superheroes in films, which is pretty interesting. Uh, The intro and outro music is composed by Cedar and Soil. Check them out at cedarsoil.com. So this week's retention hashtag uh, for Tom will be uh, sort of a mashup of his... um, his research uh, position at Edison. And so we'll do hashtag Edison Tom, one word. If you made it to the end, then uh, tag Tom, tag myself, podcast underscore junkies, and let us know uh, that you made it to the end of the show. We really enjoy, uh, I enjoy (laughs) uh, reading those on Twitter. I'm seeing more of those uh, on a more regular basis from some newer folks. Um, So I'm, I'm happy to see some of the real hardcore podcast junkies, junkies, um, have some fun with us. And if you are on Facebook on a, on a regular basis, there's a, a group there called Podcast Junkies Junkies. And it's a little bit of a um, uh, backstage, if you will, into Podcast Junkies. I record episodes of videos of myself walking my dog and telling you a little bit more about um, some of the episodes, some of the challenges I'm having, some of the fun I'm having, um, some of the things I'm looking forward to. So uh, if you want a little bit of a, a sneak peek into what happens and what my mindset is like around this show, then uh, you're you're more than welcome to join the conversation there. Again, it's Podcast Junkies Junkies on Facebook. So thanks again, guys. Um, next week, I speak to Brandon Beecham of the Positive Head Podcast. And so we get uh, into some interesting conversations there. Uh, hopefully, you can listen to that one as well. But in the meantime, all the show notes are available at podcastjunkies.com slash 93. Thanks again. Have a fantastic weekend. I hope you had a restful Memorial Day. And uh, as always, I'm so happy when I'm able to engage with you either through the newsletter, uh, through Twitter, through Instagram, through Facebook. Um, I'm on those all the time. 
Um, and I, I know that most of you have a preferred platform. So feel free to use um, the one that makes you the happiest and the one where I can get to speak to you the most. Um, for those of you that I'm going to be seeing at Podcast Movement, if you haven't bought your ticket, uh, you should do that. Um, I think we're going to try to have a little get together. And uh, onward and upwards to episode 100. And no, I still don't know what I'm going to do. So maybe you have some suggestions. Let me know. That's it. Signing off. Love you guys. Have a fantastic day. <laughs>